0: Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, right? our podcast where we talk about movies for the first time sitting at a table, movies that we've seen before usually that we've never had a conversation about. Now, this week is a little different because we're going to do a film that I suggested, uh, one that I've seen many, many times but that Mike had never seen before this podcast, that we have never talked about it yet, and that's 1991's film Homicide, the police thriller written by David Mamet who, and also directed by David Mamet, starring Joe Montana, William Macy, um, made at the height of Mamet's fame, I think, after he was already famous for Speed the Plow and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and Oleana. And so I want to start today. Um, we usually talk about our big takeaways or our big things in the beginning, and I'm very, very interested, Mike, to hear what was your take on seeing this for the first time? Sure,
1: and I should preface this by saying that I love David Mamet. You know, I love American Buffalo and, great and all, all the other stuff A great that, play. that he did and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but just like any other Mamet movie, I was absolutely carried away by this film, which I is part of, I think the theme of this film that I was carried away the same way Bobby was carried away. Just there's no extraneous scenes. There's no extraneous dialogue. Uh, everything just flows and absolutely grabs you and doesn't, doesn't let you go from the, from the first moment. Uh, Of the film, which I think, you know, seeing this movie and realizing that it came out in 1991, I have to think that so many people actually copied Mamet, you know, he's not really known for action in the sense of real film action. It's mostly characters talking, uh, interacting dialogue. But that first SWAT scene made me think of every other SWAT scene I've ever seen and thinking, oh, man, that looks like Mamet might have done that, done that first, but the film absolutely carries you away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Carried Away is a good thing because that is what happens to Bobby, right? Absolutely. Watching it again, it struck me how um, we were talking right before we hit record about the date of this film and how prescient it is and how it predicts so much. And we think like, oh, the world is so bad now. You know, At one point, Bobby was, politics, man, nothing but politics, right? Um, but that how far ahead, man, it was in seeing that. And even though the movie, I don't think it's a statement about politics, so to speak. It's about a guy who I think loses his way. But I think that um, it's amazing how, when you read editorials today and, and you look at stuff on Twitter, how ahead of its time this film was. When you talk about politics and the police and things like that. Yeah, I think
1: that there are some films that you can remake, or that I think justify their remakes. There would be nothing to justify a remake of *Homicide*. It, it would. It might have been made yesterday.
0: It would have been the same movie. And William right? H
1: Macy would still be just as good.
0: It'd be great. It'd be great. So it also struck me that you know a big mammoth idea is that you know a man is his job. That's what um, Jack Lemon says in including Ross because a man is his job and that's why he wants to have his dignity back in the film and that's true for the even the, the shyster producers in Speed the Plow and a whole other man uh, universe. Um, but certainly this movie is about that and it struck me of it's funny we talked about it on the waterfront right about the, the dignity of work. And about what you do is your job. And it's about somebody who actually takes a lot of pride in his work, who's really good at it. Like Bobby's the mouthpiece. He's the one guy we need. But it's about a guy that forsakes all that for the sake of something else. It kind of like, so Mammon, I think, takes that whole idea that you are your job and says, well, what happens if you stop believing that or you stop acting that way? Um, I had another question for you. What's, now, spoiler alerts, as always on our, on our podcast, but um, did anything surprise you when you watched it or did the movie go in a way that you didn't expect or what was it like to see it for the first time?
1: I felt like there's a, there's a lot of um, kind of gotcha moments or what a twist moments in movies. And, and there's certainly a lot of what a twist kind of moments uh, in this movie. But it is the only time where I can literally repeat this cliche. Like the I felt like the floor was drawn from under me and and it felt real. At it one didn't. moment. So there's there's two moments. The first is when Bobby is, sh- is shot for the first mm-hmm. and second time. Mm-hmm. And he's continually goading Bing Rhames <laughs> and into shooting him. And Your mother I, gave you up I, I had to watch uh I had to watch the ending about five or six times before I really got what was going on because it's so weird it's almost this is an overused adjective, but it truly is Kafkaesque It's a yeah. guy who walks back into an office and you feel like everybody should know him or relate to him in a certain yeah, way don't but, give it him funny looks. but or... suddenly everything's changed yes. and it's so unbelievably yeah. uncomfortable yeah you what is happening here?
0: Yeah, he's be, so, he's become a cockroach.
1: It's so disconcerting.
0: <laughs> he's become a cockroach like Gregor Samsa, and everyone's kind of di- hi Bob, hi Bob. But that that absolute feeling of ostracism that he has at the end is really you know in a previous episode you said the word disconcerting, and it really is disconcerting at well, the end.
1: It leans on I think an idea from the from the cop movie in the eighties where the cop. Is supposed to kind of come back into right. the office on crutches. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, Hail the you, conquering you know, hero. why don't you take two weeks off? Yeah. You know, it's like, um, what's his name? Harrison Ford at yeah. the end of witness or something, you know, right. <laughs> after, after he's been wounded. Uh, but this one is yeah.
0: much, much different. And, vibe. and I
1: feel like it plays with that scene. So it's both, I think it actually is a very good cop movie and also a very good commentary on cop yeah. movies as well.
0: Excellent. Excellent. All right. We'll see you at the second segment. Yeah. Always be closing,
1: Mike. Always be closing. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So in the second segment, we like to talk about a key scene or a revealing moment. Dan, do you want to start us off? Sure.
0: Um, As you said before, the script is so lean and so perfect. You could pretty much put on the DVD player and just stop it at a random moment and do that scene. But uh, for today, the thing that impressed me the most was the scene where um, they're asking Joe Mantegna to steal the evidence. And he says, I've already logged it back in as evidence. I can't do it. And the one guy says rightly, he says, well, you say you'll do anything. And then we ask you to do something and you say no. And then he gets punched in the stomach by Ricky Jay. I think that's a great moment because that is the crux of the movie is Bobby trying to serve two different sets of, of two different masters and two sets of values. Right. The point of the movie is who is this guy? right? He's a really, really good cop who, because of guilt, because of what he said on the phone when Rebecca Pigeon overhears him, decides he's going to get it to something else and starts to believe it. And I think earlier in the movie, William Macy says to him the story about he says, I'll tell you what the old whore said. It's the truest thing I know. When you start coming with the customers, it's time to quit. And William Macy is kind of like the voice of reason. And that is what happens to Bobby in a very um, you know, obscene way. But that is what happens with Bobby. And you, he can't do his job as a cop. And, and and enforce that set of values and still work for the secret organization. And that moment, he just gets hit and he finds out he's in over his head. And that's when he realizes he's it's late. It's five o'clock, Yeah, right? it's late. He's supposed to be there. Where is he? Where's Bob? He's supposed to be here to, to talk to Randolph. So I think that that moment is the is the crisis moment where those two worlds, um, I don't want to say collide, because they don't collide. He, he tries to straddle them. As you said before in an early episode, he's the cartoon character on a train and the train cars are, are moving away and he's getting stretched out
1: yeah and so to pick up from that i would like to kind of zero in on the scene at which bobby does his job to its fullest extent which is With where the dog? he gets no he gets bing rames's okay uh, mom to, to flip on him and he so you know you're set up in the movie to hear that he's the mouthpiece he's the order whatever you know yeah. william h mason's right. got a got a million he calls him the
0: mouthpiece, for, yeah.
1: for what he is and i think in a lesser film Either that would be left out and implied because it would be actually hard to pull off, right? It's a, it's a point at which you actually have to perform. And there's nothing else in the film to really suggest that Bobby is that articulate. You know, he spends half the film, as you said, either getting punched in the stomach or saying, What? What's happening? or not knowing where he That's right.
0: His, That's right. The
1: real scene, you know, where he where he blows up the um, yeah, the, the,
0: that, the Nazi uh, thing. Yeah, the, in the, back of the
1: in the back of the story, right? That's almost a silent scene. He's mm-hmm. he's doing all the acting mm-hmm. with his face. But in that scene where he convinces uh, Ving yeah. Rhames' mom's character to to flip on him, uh, he really does talk to her. He yeah. said, I know it's hard, Mama. I know
0: it's tough, Mama. I know the world's terrible.
1: And all the other cops are telling him, there's no time for this. We'll just take her in. You know, we'll do our whole process on her. But it turns out at the end that that, that is the scene that's that's flipped her and it's so engrossing. Yeah. You know, and it's just mammoth dialogue uh, all over. But I feel like that is the scene where you see a man is his work, meaning if Without that scene, the movie doesn't really work that he's he's giving yeah. something up because you don't see him in action.
0: Right. Well, we also see him in action. It's funny because I thought you were going to say the scene with the dog when when he says to the patrolman, he goes, what's your name? Okay, take out your – I was never here. And he goes in there and you see that the patrolman – remember he says, um, "He says, uh, well, how many are in there? Just one with the dog. And he goes, shoot the dog! He's like, and um, that you get to see Bobby be a real good cop there because he goes in, he's like, don't touch anything. And he picks up the Star of David necklace with his pen, mm-hmm. so he doesn't touch it. So you do get to see him be a good cop there. You just reminded me of how that the golden rule in, like, when you have a novel about, um, say, a poet, you never get to read like, the, poem. the, the poems the character writes. But here you actually get to see him be the mouthpiece. And in that scene, remember, some of the cops kind of give each other a look and they're like, he's doing it. Like Bobby's doing his thing. And I think that's, you know, that's to Mamet's credit that he actually. You know, puts his character's money where the character's mouth is. Well, I think
1: that moment comes back when he's trying to distract. Uh, Bing Rams's character is, is trying to escape, right. and there's nobody that can overpower this guy. It's just a, a, the doné of the movie is that this guy is like the Terminator. Right. Just where yeah. you can you can bust in on yeah. him with a SWAT team, he's still gonna escape. He'll yeah. overpower everybody, yeah. and it, but he doesn't have a gun. But all he can do is he can get shot and he can talk. Yeah. Just talk at him long enough for him to get arrested. For him to
0: get arrested, right. And of course, him talking to his mother, that brings up the whole theme of betrayal, which is a big theme of the movie when he says, your mother sold you out. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like you know, Bobby's going to give someone else a lecture on betrayal, but Bobby's the one who betrays, betrays his family, mm-hmm. his real family that ends up getting his partner killed. Mm-hmm. Okay, talk to you for the third segment.
1: So in the third segment, we like to talk about the ending or the title or the big takeaways. And as jarring as the ending is, I know I said before that there's really no extraneous scenes here. Uh, although I'm not crazy about the guy, the the subplot with the guy who's killed his wife and the two kids, really, you know, to to keep them safe. And then he sees them again uh, at the end, and he's the first one to try to take Bobby's gun away. Right. And, and, he breaks his
0: holster. Yeah. And why I, did you do that? Now, why did you do that?
1: So I, I, I don't, I didn't really see that as as necessary
0: well uh, let me explain let me explain if i may right i think that yes the first time there's a lot to process right when you see grofas at the end and you realize that the whole movie was based upon pigeon feed, that there was no conspiracy and all those things like um didn't that take you like a little while to process it took me a little yeah that's what i meant
1: when i felt like the Oh, the rugged did come out, yeah. me.
0: Okay, right. So certainly, Bobby has that soul crushing moment. Like you said, it was cough as he realizes, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, there was no conspiracy. The man on the roof really was feeding his pigeons." All those things. I think that the, that the subplot it's not even it doesn't even raise it to the level of the subplot. He's just a recurring character. Almost the guy that kills his family with the deer rifle. I think he's in the movie because he illuminates the, one of the big themes, and it's that um, when he breaks Bobby's holster, you know that's a sign of Bobby's. Um, His his allegiance breaking to the cops, right? He's not a good cop anymore. Uh, Sully says, get your holster fixed, get your holster fixed. And then there's the one scene he doesn't have his gun, right? But I think that guy's in the movie because he says, perhaps I could help you. And Bobby says, well, how can you possibly help me? And he says, I could tell you the nature of evil. And then he gets interrupted, right? Well, the nature of evil is what Bobby did. The nature of evil is betrayal, right? What's the ultimate sign of betrayal is to, to murder your family. It's your family unit. And that's what Bobby did. Bobby, quote unquote, murdered Sullivan. He, he he betrayed his family. So the guy who kills his family with a deer rifle is a more pronounced version of that. But it's the theme of betrayal, like Randolph's mother.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. So he, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. So you're saying that the. The guy gets carried away by an illusion and telling right. his family to, quote unquote, keep them safe. Yeah. And the other cop says, well, they're safe now. Yeah, they're
0: safe now. Um,
1: right? no, so I'm, I'm with you as that being the, yeah. being
0: the I think it's song. like one of those things like in Shakespeare where there's multiple plots and they all echo the same theme. I think that's what goes on here in, in the mammoth universe. right? Um, for me, the, the the big takeaway this time was how great the title is again. right? So that's not only their division, but the, the title fits what happens to Bobby because he he goes through a figurative homicide of his own self. Mm. right? I mean, you could call this movie the, the Death of Bobby Gold. I mean, that's exactly what happens. It's a homicide in mammoth land, and that he takes um, something that was very, very precious to him and kills it, because he feels guilty because of what happened to Rebecca Pigeon. And also, the other scene we didn't talk about, how about the scene where the rabbi is chewing him out
1: Yes, because in he can't read
0: Hebrew, right? And that he feels inadequate. And and there's the other scene where the woman talks about running the guns for Israel, and he says, now, what must that be like?
1: Well, he he's uh, you know, there's the scene where he and William H. Macy are going to go into the, they're going to go into the apartment. That's where they find thing rooms right. mother's character. And uh, w- they're getting set up. And William H. Macy says, why do you always have to go in first? Yeah, and you so find brazen. out, you find out why he has to go in first. Yeah, you know, he you're so brazen. He's, he's got this chip on his shoulder. Yes. But it turned, you know, so one thing that is conflicting for me is that even though he's got this chip on his shoulder about not being an action hero, that really he isn't. And the way that he catches Fing Rames is by, Talking. You know, I don't the, know if the he feels
0: he, I don't know if he feels a chip on his shoulder about not being an action hero. I think he develops a chip on his shoulder because of what happens when he's making fun of of the uh, what he calls the quote unquote hysterical Jews, and he gets cornered by Rebecca Pigeon. She says, You speak that way in the house of the dead, and the mouthpiece has no answer because she has him dead to rights. And he feels guilty, he's gonna he's gonna make up amends for that. And then he starts to feel inadequate. I think before then though, I think when he speaks to that patrolman about the dog, he's all confidence.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it, I really love the sense of vertigo that this movie yeah. creates. You know, it's <laughs> right. it's exactly like the most frightening scene that we talked about in The Witch, yeah. where part of it being so scary is that you're not sure what's going on. It's right. very hard to find your footing. And I feel that about this, where Bobby literally loses his footing and he slips and loses his gun. And he
0: comes in with a cane at the end. Right. You know, he's the uh, he's the uh, a, a broken version of himself at the beginning of the movie. and. The looks that the other cops give him show him no way back. I mean, remember how tight they were? Remember the beginning when they're complaining about the FBI? because mm-hmm. The FBI don't put you on your 10 most wanted list. That's right. Till they know where you are. That's right. And how long you are going to be there? That's right. Just give us some good Irish cops with cigars in their mouths. They'll get their man. The, the FBI couldn't find Joe Lewis in a bowl of rice. The FBI could F up a baked potato. So he's in this world, and they all love him, and he loves all of them, and he's got it made. And then again, the when he comes back, and they're all like, hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. There, there is no, there is no road back. Now,
1: your reading of that scene is not because they found out about the list or what he's agreed to do. It's because he's late. He was late, and, and it,
0: he he ruined the whole operation. Now, I'm sure they find out. Like, well, why was he late? You know, mm-hmm. he's not going to say I fell asleep. Like, it's going to come out. But I take it that yeah, he, we, you know, it's like that. We gave you had one job. <laughs> you had one job, and it was the most important job. And not only is it weird to talk to you because your partner's now dead, but it was also your fault.
1: Speaking of which. That's a great death. There's a, there's, a great lot death of, there's a lot of deaths in movies where you just roll your eyes because somebody's got to get one last thing out. It's like watching Untouchables, which came out around the same time. And Sean Connery's last thing is to try to give the train a train schedule and it's covered in blood. But William H. Macy dying and looking at his best friend saying, hey, Bobby, you remember that girl that one time? Perfect. <laughs> Beautiful.
0: Perfect, right? And that's what makes it so much more re- real, right? He doesn't he does say, Bobby, don't forget me. Or, Bobby, remember our family or something. He, it's just a random thing. You don't even know what it means, but it totally convinces you how tight he is with Bobby that they have this shared story about this girl that one time and that, that Bobby's going to remember that for the rest of his life. You're
1: not invited to my birthday party.
0: Nope. Okay. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time. We'd like to thank everybody who's been listening to the show and downloading the episodes.
1: Yeah, you can tweet us or leave recommendations of films that we should cover at at one five min film that's at one five m-i-n-f-i-l-m
0: you could also leave us a voicemail by following the link on the episode descriptions that are wherever you get your podcast. thanks a lot for listening
1: yeah see you next time